He's loose, isn't he? Wow, that was awesome. You been playing long? No, I, I, that was great. That was that was uh, that was rich. Thank you, thank you. You know, we appreciate uh, again. I know I mentioned this, but we appreciate our musicians and uh, all the guys that are singing and and sharing the last uh, eight or ten days. Just rich. It's just been a rich experience and. Uh, meeting some new folks, and, and uh, I know that, that you've enjoyed the music, too, and it's just been rich. You, you know, uh, uh, worshiping God, th this is an incredible time to be a Christian. You know, it really is. And, and the things that are happening in the world, uh, the, the, the opportunities we have to, to live forth a message, to live forth a gospel, and, and sometimes we're... we're better at it than we are at, at other times, but uh, if the world ever really needs to, uh, if it ever needed to hear the gospel and to see it in action, uh, it's today, at least in my lifetime. Uh, you, you know, the churches, uh, are, a lot of them are struggling, and, and uh, here we are, and, and we'll be going back to our churches, and we need to be there. You know, we, we need to be there. Who was it? It was uh, Elliot that said, uh, Jim Elliot said, wherever you are, be all there. Isn't that a strange statement? Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And, uh, you know, you think about it. Wherever you are, be all there. We know what that means in church. I mean, you stand up on Sunday morning, and some of them, the, you can see your crowd, but not all of them are there, you know? Some of, them are, are, uh, some of them are thinking about the ball game coming up or the one they lost yesterday or, or, or what we're going to eat lunch or is the preacher going to preach all day and that type of thing. And we're not all there, and we need to be all there. We, we don't want to miss anything that, that God has for us. You with me? Hello? Come out and play. We're going to share a few minutes here, and, and I'm going to just share some things with you. And um, John Ortberg, a great writer, interesting guy to, to read. He, he wrote a book one time, said, The Life You Always Wanted. Isn't that a strange book? The Life You Always Wanted. And a friend of mine was working in a bookstore at that time when that book came out. And uh, when they got the book, and he saw the title of that book, it was a Christian bookstore, he knew it wasn't, you know, who's going to be interested in that? Because Christians all live the life they, they want, right? So he said that. He talked to the manager. He said, you know, that's not going to sell. Who's, who's going to? The manager said, I got this, uh, I got this, uh, um, this display, and, and we're going to set it right in front of the store. And when people come in, everybody will stop and look at it. He said, everybody's not going to stop and look at that. Because everybody's happy uh, with the lives they're having in Christ Jesus. Haven't you heard? So he said that, that 80 or 90% of the people that came in that store stopped and picked up a book. And then it finally dawned on him, it finally dawned on him that uh, not every Christian is satisfied with the life they're living. That, that they feel like there's a little more, there's something out there that 
that they're missing or they see something and, and somebody like our sister right here, uh, she's dangerous when she sings. See, nobody sits around her because she's dangerous when she sings. She moves and gets into it, and it's been a blessing just to watch you. But, but um, not everybody, not, not everybody is right where they want to be. And we want to talk about that a little bit. We say, well, what kind of people ought we to be? How should we be? We're going to be leaving here. What kind of people ought we to be? And I, I just want to share a few things with you, and, and, uh, and then we'll go home, okay? Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and this is from the message, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes to this, uh, this, this preacher boy. He said, stay at your post, reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching, and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. He said, keep that dusted off and in use. Isn't that some statement? He, he tells him what to do. He says, keep those gifts, those things that, that, that God has put into us, those things that he has invested in our lives, those things that he created us for, that purpose that we have for living. He says, keep that fresh. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse, uh, verses 10 through 12, first part of 12, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And he says this, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, he says you ought to live holy and, and godly lives. So what does that mean when you say, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of people ought we to be? What, how, how do we translate that in today's language? Uh, several years ago, I, I had a responsibility with our conference that I was what to call a superintendent. What that, me what that meant was that, that when, you're, when you're a minister, a pastor, you serve a church and, and you got a lot of headaches, when you're superintendent, you, 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 uh, you don't serve just one church. You have everybody's headaches. So uh, uh, the bishop called, and he said, you know, I want you to do this. So, so one of the first churches I visited, and we had what we call a conference, a charge conference. And, and uh, when I got there, you know, I'd been to what they call charm school uh, uh, for, for superintendents. And so I went to this thing, and it was, it was a waste of time. But, but I was there, and... Uh, um, we tape these, don't we? Uh, no. Uh, anyway, so, so anyway, I go to this church. It's one of the first churches I go to. And um, when I go to this church, when I get there, I get there a little early. We're going to have a worship service. And then we're going to have this, uh, this meeting, this yearly business meeting. And it was on a Sunday morning. And, and uh, like I said, it was one of the first ones I had. It's one of the first ones I had. And... and uh, so I, so I go in, and the preacher walks over to me, and he says, I'm quitting. I said, you can't quit. I just walked in the door. And he said, I'm quitting. He said, so-and-so's mad, so-and-so's leaving, so-and-so's leaving. Uh, this is splitting. This is happening. This is happening. He said, I quit. He said, I'm going to get up before the worship service and tell everybody I'm going to quit. I said, no, you're not. 
I said, you're not going to do that here? I said, the worship service is not about you. I said, we're going to worship God in this place, and, and uh, sounds like you need that, so you might as well stay. I said, we're worshiping God, then you can do what you want. So we had a great worship service. We really did, and the church was full because the word had gotten around that the preacher was going to quit. So, so we, <laughs> I thought, well, that's one way to bring him in. But, but anyway, um, we, we had a great worship service, and when it came time, when it came time for the business meeting, we pulled a little lectern out in front of the pulpit, and uh, nobody left. And I said, well, Reverend, we'll call him Smith. I said, Reverend Smith has got a, an announcement. So he gets up and he says, I quit. Oh, he was, he was really uh, 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 emphatic about it. I thought, man, if I got preachers like that, he's got to be doing pretty good. He, he was really, he said, I quit. And he was laying several people out and then he sat down. And I stepped behind the lectern, and before I could say anything, this woman got up at the front pew, right to my left. And she walked over, and she was a younger woman, and she slammed the church key right on the lectern and said, I quit, and she walked out. And, and I started praying. I, I, I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? They didn't teach me this in charm school. And, and I said, you got any ideas? And, and, and bef before the Lord responded... <laughs> At least if he did, I didn't hear him. Uh, she walked out, that woman walked out, and then this woman right over here, halfway back on my right, she jumps up. She said, take my name off of every, every committee in the church. And she was on about every committee in the church. Aha. But anyway, she said, take my, take my name off of every committee in the church. And then she sat down, and I thought, I wonder why she's staying. But anyway, she sat down. And, and I started to say something to him before I could get it out. Over here on my left, all the way in the back, this young man got up, and he said, take my wife, take her name off and my name off of everything in the church. And I said, well, okay. So I, I said, Lord, what are we going to do? And, then, and a woman stood up over here next. I remember the sequence. The woman stood up over here in the back, and she started to say something, and the Lord told me. I believe this all my heart. He said, tell, tell them about Goober. And I said, yeah. I said, sit down a minute. And the woman sat down and said, I want to tell you about Goober. I said, every church has a Goober. Every family has a Goober. Goober is that person in your family that drives everybody nuts. They get on their nerves that when you're trying to talk to somebody, goober comes up and breaks up your conversation and just drives you, drives you nuts. And, and, and wherever you are, they are, the whole nine yards. I mean, it's crazy. And, and if you don't believe that, you're goober. <laughs> you really are. You're the goober in your family. And uh, I, I say that because I, I'm the goober in my family. That I drive them nuts. I love it. I, I drive them nuts. So I told him about Goober, Goober and I said, I said, there's a Goober in every family. And, and I just described it a little bit like I did you. And I said, uh, I said, the Goober, Goober, it might be a, a, a male or a female, whatever, but Goober. I said, Goober drives you nuts, but if Goober needs a kidney, 
you're first in line. You know why? Because Goober is family. So I looked at that church and I said, I said, you can all leave if you want. It's okay. And I said, I'll figure it out. But if you can all leave. But know this. When you want to come back to this church, you are welcome. You are welcome to this church. Why? Because you're family. You're family. You with me? Everybody calm down and, and things work well. You know, it, it, uh, it's a long story, but, but it was amazing to see how the Lord worked. But you know what I'm talking about, Goober? That, that if Goober needs a kidney, you're there for him. You're there because they're family. You know, um, I remember when I made my way back to the Lord, he just received me. Why? Because I was family. Knew me right off. Knew, knew my problems right off. Knew how I was right off. Knew because, because we're family. What kind of people ought we to be? First of all, I think we need to be a concerned people. A concerned people. And the first thing I, I think we need to be concerned for the lost. Now plug into this. Scripture says in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you know, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come on you and you become witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That, that, that he gives us that kind of, that kind of power and, and, uh, to go and tell. And, and then it says in Luke 19.10, you know the scripture. And I, the Son of Man, may have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Okay? That what kind of people ought we to be a concerned people for the lost? John 17 and verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. A guy I know uh, named Reggie in Atlanta, he had four children, his wife had four children, and one day, one day there in this, this uh, apartment complex where they lived, the, the, the youngest, we'll call her Mary, disappeared. She's about three years old, and she disappeared. And they, they were frantic, and they were running here and there. They called the police, and they got all their friends out, and everybody is just swarming that whole area. They're looking for Mary. And finally began to realize after an hour or so that Mary had been taken. Mary was gone. And, and it was a very emotional thing. And then someone hollered out. Someone shouted out, said, I found her, I found her. And she had come down the hall, evidently, and got in the door of another apartment, found the couch and fell asleep. She didn't sleep for an hour or two. So you can imagine the gathering that was there as they were hugging each other. And Reggie's standing there. And someone said to him, Reggie, what were you so upset about? Why were you so upset? You got four kids. You got four kids. And you lose one. You had three left. What are you so upset about? Doesn't that sound horrible? Does that sound horrible to you? You got four kids and so you lost one. You got three left. That's terrible. Is that not our thinking though? When we've got a world that needs Jesus, 
And we get a few saved, and we think we've hung, you know, we've, we've hung the moon. That, that because, but there's a whole world out there that's lost. Mary is out there, and she needs people like you and me to hunt her down and sense and to share Jesus with her, to offer her life, to offer her opportunities, to offer her hope that every child is important. There's no one, there's no one here tonight that's not important. You are important in the face of God. You might even be a goober. You're important. Welcome home. You know, you're important. You are. And, and, and little Mary, think about that. And think about the Marys in your neighborhood. Think about people like that. We need to be concerned about Mary. Right? You with me? Hello? We need to be concerned about Mary. As you sent me into the world, as I said, as you sent me into the world, Jesus said, I am sending them into the world. Is anybody going to heaven because you shared with them? Because you see, with the presence of God in your life, you have the potential of leading people to a life that will never end. Think about that. You've got the potential of finding Mary. Finding Mary. Can you imagine what, what a gathering that was when Mary was brought to her parents? Wow! Brought, by, brought to her family? Mary's out there. And you need to pray that God will show you where Mary is. That God will put Mary on your heart to share. You there? Secondly, we need to be concerned about living holy lives. I mean, the world needs a demonstration. We, we preach at them. We yell at them, you know. They need some free samples. You know, we need to demonstrate what it, what it is to live like Jesus. Scripture. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. But now, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. Wow. There ought to be a difference in the way we act, the way we live. Acts 4. Remember Acts 3? Peter and John. I mentioned this, I think, uh, yesterday maybe. Peter and John, they ministered to the guy at the gate of the temple who was crippled there. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. Rise up and walk. And he did. He went in the church. People got upset. He wasn't in the bulletin or whatever. He ran in. And, and, and upset the thing, and they arrested Peter and John. Remember what they said in Acts 4? They said, it's evident that you guys have been hanging out with Jesus. There was something in their lives that spoke, that, that spoke of the Almighty. The greatest need, Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, the greatest need of my congregation is my own personal holiness. My own personal holiness holiness. So we ought to be concerned. We ought to be concerned for the lost. We ought to be concerned about living holy lives. A, a, a second thing, we ought to be a capable people, a capable people. We need a fresh anointing. You know, uh, you hear people share sometimes, and it's all past history. I mean, it, it, testimonies are, oh, it boys you to death. It boys them to death, you know? They, they practically fall asleep in their own testimony. Because it's so old. Your testimony and my testimony needs to be as fresh as the day is young. That I walk with the Lord. We ought to be a capable people. The scripture says again in 1.8, uh, this is the New Living Translation. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will, you will receive power. That you'll be a 
you, you will be a capable person. I used to have a guy in my neighborhood, a, a guy in my neighborhood by the name of Jack Cooper. And Jack, Jack was a sharp guy, but he was an unusual guy. Science and all that stuff, he, he just knocked it, knocked it through the roof. And, and when he graduated from high school, the principal, the principal, he went to see the principal, Professor Jones, and he said, I, I want to go to college. And the professor laughed at him. He said, you're not that tight. He said, yes, I am. I want to go to college. And, and the professor said, no, nah, that, that's not really a bag. And so he said things that you don't repeat at camp meeting. You know what I mean? And, and he walked out, and, and he's walking down the hall, and he said, I'll show him. And uh, he retired uh, not too long ago as an orthopedic surgeon in Miami. So he did go to college, but he was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. And, and, and he, he had the courage to walk out his dream. A, a, an amazing, an amazing person. There used to be a guy named Bill Russell that played for the Boston Celtics. And, and when I was a kid, Boston won all the time. You, you might remember that. They won all the time. They won 10 or 15 championships. And that was one after another. And they asked Bill Russell, they said, how do you keep winning like that? How do you guys win like that? And he said this, and I get this. Russell said, the game is scheduled. We have to play. We might as well win. I like that. Simple. The game is scheduled. We have to play. We might as well win. And, and that's true in life, man. You know, be, being a child of God opens all kinds of potential, all kinds of possibilities in our lives. We have to play. We might as well win. And, and when you're on board with, with our Lord, we're going to win. You know, as they, as they say, I read the last chapter. We're going to win this thing. We are. Amen. Amen. Stan Musial used to be a great ball player for, for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, and he, was a, he was an awesome player. And it, it is said toward the end of his career, he was in the locker room one day, and, and an, a rookie came in, one of the new players, a rookie. And, and they came in, just a kid. And, and Musial said, how are you doing today? He said, I'm great. I'm great, Stan. He said, is this going to be a good day at the plate? He said, I, I feel like two hits. And he looked at Stan. He said, do you ever feel that way, Stan? And Stan said, every day. Every day. And see, I, as, as children of God, our capabilities are out of sight. And, and I think we need, and I catch myself, you know, I, I don't live to, I, I, I read this stuff, you believe this stuff, but am I walking it out? And I catch myself so often not walking it out. Uh, Eddie Fox, who, is, uh, who used to be the uh, uh, world director of, uh, uh, of the Methodist uh, movement or whatever, World Methodist Council, and Eddie's a good friend of mine and Beth, just a great guy, and, and, uh, but he made this statement. He said, and, and you can put your own church or denomination in this statement. He said, wherever Methodist, you might say a Wesleyan or a Nazarene, you know, wherever wherever Methodists are open to the power, the presence, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the movement is alive, it's vibrant, and it's growing. However, if persons in our movement are closed to the life-giving Holy Spirit, the movement is a dead sect. We, we lose our passion. It, it, it's what I call unapplied truth. I mean, you can know the Bible like the back of your hand, but if you don't apply it, you're not going to see a whole lot happen. Walk it out. I mean, say, Lord, I believe your book. 
I believe those six or 7,000 promises are mine. And to begin to walk this thing out, and as I say, put God to the test. A friend of mine made this statement, and uh, I wrote it down. I thought it was pretty cool. He said, for the first century followers, this is not my statement, the statement he made. For the first century followers, Jesus was not a person sitting in some room existing so that people could learn information about their lives. Jesus was the eternal life that showed up for these people. He appeared to them. He became visible to them. It wasn't irrelevant information. It was a revolutionary encounter. Wow. I, I like that. Uh, it was a revolutionary uh, encounter. You remember I, I was teaching uh, yesterday, I guess, talk, we're talking about Ezekiel uh, 22, where, where they took the holy things and they normalized God. And, and we need to let God be God. I'm not God, you're not God. We need to let God be God. Thirdly, we need to be a committed people. We need to be a committed people. You know, uh, years ago they had an earthquake. They had an earthquake in Haiti. And a friend of mine was down there doing some work, and uh, he told me this story about a little guy named, named uh, uh, Rodney. And you remember this, Beth? Rodney. Rodney was 15, and he was a tiny guy because he had a horrible heart problem. And when the earth began to shake there in Port-au-Prince, when, when, when the earthquake, you know, when it hit and the earth began to move, Rodney thought it was the second coming. And the places were collapsing up and down the streets and people were dying. And Rodney was excited because he knew only Jesus could do something like this. And they said he ran out in the road with his hands up in the air. Take me on, Lord, you know. And, 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 uh, and then a few months later, in the arms of a close friend of ours, Chris, Chris Keelan, he died at a hospital in his arms. And uh, Chris said he just died with a smile on his face because he was that deeply, that deeply committed. Louis Giglio, a great uh, preacher now, but teacher, and Louis Giglio is in Atlanta. He said this, because I was created by God and for his glory, I will magnify him I will magnify him as I respond to his great love. My desire is to make knowing and enjoying God the passionate pursuit of my life. The toughest part of ministry is showing up. Showing up. Making that commitment. Making that step. We can say what, we can blame this or that and the other, but it's showing up. Lord, I will be there. I will be there. We need to be we need to be committed in that way. Uh, a fourth thing is we need to be a consecrated people, a consecrated people. Beth and, and Bob's grandfather, Harry Seymour, he had the exciting job of uh, selling wallpaper. And this was probably in the 30s or 40s, but he, he was a wallpaper salesman. He was also an alcoholic, I think. He had all kinds of problems. And uh, that meant the whole family had problems. Harry Moore had all kinds of problems. And one night he, he injured, he, he, he was injured in an accident and he was bleeding to death and they couldn't do a thing about it. And they told the wife, they said, he's gonna die and there's nothing we can do, I'm sorry. And he's in this room, uh, I guess he's at a hospital, or he was, at the, he was home and, and he, was, he was in this room and he's dying. And he hears his wife praying for him out in the hall. 
And, and she's crying out to God, oh, Lord, don't let him die. And, she, and he realizes, I'm dying. He said, I'm a terrible man. I'm dying. And he said, Lord, if you will heal me, if you will heal me, I'll win a thousand people to you. Well, it was healed. So uh, you think, what happened to the promise? What happened to that commitment? He began to talk to people about Jesus. He hardly knew him himself, but he knew he was a healer. So he started talking to people. And as he shared with people, one after another began to give their lives to Jesus. When he finally died, when he finally died, they said that, that the Gideons, he went to the Gideons and, and he said, I, I'm leading people to Jesus he said, I'd like to give them a something. And they said, for everybody you lead to Jesus, give them a testament. So they handed him a testament. And uh, one after another, he, he, he would give them a testament. When he finally died at the funeral home, in visitation at the funeral home, a Gideon guy came in and was speaking to his widow, Bob and... and what? Oh. Oh, it's your mother. Well, I stand corrected here, don't I? But, but they said to their mother, they said, you know how many Bibles he gave away? We lost count after 2,000. He led over 2,000 people to the Lord. His training, his training was hanging wallpaper. His real training was coming to the point of death and realizing he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. We ought to be a, we ought to be a, a consecrated, a consecrated people. Erwin McManus, who's a great writer, this guy is a prolific writer. This guy, when he writes a book, he sits down and quotes it. I was in a session with him. I went six hours, and it poured out of him without the first note. It poured out of him. It was unreal, and it was so rich what he had to say. But uh, he, he has that gift. But he made this statement. He says, now listen to this. Anybody can plug into this, Christian. The scriptures seem to simplify the process of calling. The one call is to lay your life at the feet of Jesus and do whatever he asks. Remember what I told you about Steve Brown? That for most Christians, the Christian faith is either a raging fire are a dull habit. So here again that quote from McManus. The scriptures seem to simplify the process of calling. The one call is to lay your life at the feet of Jesus and do whatever he asks. And then the, uh, the fifth thing, the final thing, is we need to be a crucified people. A crucified people. You remember that movie, The Passion of Christ? You remember that? I sat in that movie and held my breath for two hours. That was amazing. I just sat there. I couldn't believe that someone loved me enough to die like that, to die for me. It, it was just an awesome thing. In Luke 9, Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, here's what's it's done. Put aside your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross daily. Live for him daily. And he said, and follow me. And follow me. That's radical. You used to have a guy named, we'll call him, his name's John. But um, John, John was into everything. 
and his, his marriage, his life was falling apart. And John came to Jesus, and he didn't know how to do anything halfway, and he became a radical Christian, and still is to this day. But not long after he got saved, a, a, a buddy of his, their marriage began to fall about, apart, and, and uh, the man's wife came and asked me, said, uh, can you send somebody to talk to my husband? And I said, I'll send John. And she said, don't send John. He's crazy. He's radical. Don't send John. And I asked the lady, I said, how fixed do you want your husband to be? Because John will lead him to the cross. So we ask ourselves, how fixed are we? How close to Jesus do we really want to be? How close to Jesus are we really? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not me, not I. But Christ lives in me. And if he lives in me, he ought, he ought to be living out of me. Charleston Heston, they were making a movie years ago called Ben-Hur. Anybody remember that movie? My grandmother told me about that movie. Uh, <laughs> they made this movie, and you remember the highlight of the movie? The highlight of the movie was a chariot race. You remember that? The chariot race. Wow, man. And while they were making this movie, the director, Cecil B. DeMille, Cecil B. DeMille, he was talking to Charlton Heston, and this would be Charlton Heston's kind of his avenue to greatness in this movie, but he said uh, the, the chariot race is, is coming up, and, and Charlton Heston said, I don't know anything about driving chariots. He said, I, I don't know how to do that. And he said, there's no way that I can win this race. And Cecil B. DeMille said this. He said, all I want you to do is stay in the race. I'll make sure you win. Will that preach? That's what Jesus says to us. He says, get in the race. Get in the race. I'll make sure you win. I'll give you a life. I'll give you life like you've never known. I'll give you that life you've been looking for. You'll see people won to Christ. You know, you'll see people, you'll see lives changed and families saved. You'll hear Mary out there crying out in the night, waiting for somebody like you that knows Jesus. And if you're a goober, God loves you. God loves you. It's time to come home. You know? Let's pray together. I know it's, I know it's hot in here and, and uh, uncomfortable, but this thing's winding down, and as we pray, really think about, think about the, the days and the, and the weeks and months ahead. I, I know a lot of us live from one, one great experience at Psyche to another, but what if this time next year you could come and share about Mary? Tell us about the Mary that you led to Jesus. What if you came and you said, Joe, I, I realize that I'm goober. And I need life. I need a kidney. And I know that Jesus offers life to me. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. 
Tonight's your opportunity. Tonight's your time. This is the time for us to respond as Lord says, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of people is God calling us to be? Not just as Syker. All the scripture we hear and all that we learn, is it unapplied truth? Or is it working in and through our lives and through our witness? What kind of people ought we to be? Father, I thank you for each one here. And I know as, as Tom said last night, we're not here by accident. We're here by divine appointment, as he said. And that's so true, that's so real, that's so right. That uh, this is not an accident. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, maybe, maybe uh, some sports star doesn't know who we are, some movie star doesn't know, but you do. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know us, you call us by name. And tonight, tonight call us by name. And I pray, I pray, Father, that this will be the night as we would respond to you. This will be a night we can mark in our Bibles and put, put August the 3rd, 2019, things, things completely changed in my life. I found life and found it afresh. I found it anew. Lord, speak this to our hearts and we'll give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We open up the altar to you, and uh, certainly you're welcome to come. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you, lift your hand, and, and we'll, we'll be down here as long as you'd like to. But let's stand as we sing. Tab. My life, my love, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I live for faithful be. My Savior and my God. I'll live for Him. I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for Him who died for me. My Savior and my God. I now believe. I now believe Thou dost receive For Thou hast died That I might live And now henceforth I'll trust Thee My Savior and my God I'll live for Him I'll live for Him Who died for me how happy then my life shall be I'll live for him who died for me My Savior and my God O Thou who died on Calvary O Thou who died on Calvary To save my soul and make my life to Thee, Savior and my God. I'll live for Thee, I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for Him 
sing we want to sing one more song give you an opportunity uh, and and then and then we'll close out and and, uh, and and we'll be up front if you'd like to come okay but uh, let us be united let us be tonight let us be uh, as I always say that Calvary was was the beachhead Calvary was was to us uh, is to us what uh, what Normandy was in World War II it wasn't the end of the war, but it was a, it was a battle. And from that beachhead, they went out and won the war. And, and, and our, our commitment and, and our movement, you know, just in life, said, I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna get more uh, public in my witness and my testimony. Let God do something awesome in your life tonight, okay? Let's sing on. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portholes, see on the portholes, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and me, watching for you and for me. I'll come home, come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly tender, Jesus is calling, the wonderful love, oh, for the wonderful love He has promised for you and me, promised for you and for me, though we but have sinned, has mercy, though we have sinned, He has mercy, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're just here, you're for you and for me. Oh, come home, come home, come home. You are weary, come home. Earnestly, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling. I'll live for him who died for me. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me. My Savior and my upon Jesus, look full in His one. 
the things of earth will grow strangely dead in the light of His glory and grace. Well, the service tomorrow is at 11, and uh, it's going to be a great day. But tonight, I hope you made a commitment of some sort, not business as usual. Go home and, and listen. Let the Lord lead you to me, to those people who are crying out in the night. And know that the message that you've experienced in your heart and in your life, the message of the Holy Spirit moving in and through you, can change a family, can change the world. Father, thank you. Thank you for for your presence here tonight. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, Lord. Thank you for these that have come to the altar and, and your ministry to them, Lord. And, and folks that have made decisions tonight, Lord, I just pray that, that uh, this can be the beginning, no matter where we are in our walk with you, this can be the, the beginning of something greater, something, Father, that, that, that uh, can touch our family, those that we have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for, those that we have cried out to you about. You've heard their name so much flow out of our lips and out of our lives. Lord, I pray, I just pray that a new, fresh anointing and desire and drive and no more unapplied truth, but walking out your word can, can be those things that describe us from now on, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.